We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. For Mike, then I'm going to say status quo on all of it. This is Mike's opportunity to, to make noise. And um, you, never, you never ask how your opportunity comes. You just take advantage of your opportunity and you do the best you can. And uh, so it's, you know, we got all the faith in Mike. I've, I've said it before. I've, and I know the the line, if you have more than one quarterback, you have none. Well, we feel like we have three of them. Uh, we got three pretty damn good ones. And uh, But right now, I, while while Zach is focusing on reconnecting and doing all the different things that we that we know he's capable of, uh, right now is Mike's opportunity. And I really would love to just focus on Mike and his opportunity and, and uh, give him every chance to succeed. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the AFC East Roundup Podcast. I'm your host, Bill, season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Kruger, and that was Robert Sala during one of his weekly pressers talking to the New York media. Chris, isn't that almost like proof that they're the worst? Yeah, there's so many of them. <laughs> but but like even just to ask that, like, I don't know, the context of the question, like, he's talking about Mike White, and the guy comes back with a, like, well, do you really mean that? Or is this like a wish? And he's like, are you trying to, like, create? He's like, what are you trying to ask me here? I just, I hate those guys. And also, it's crazy to hear them commit like that to Mike White. He's going to play the rest of the year. I was going to ask, do you think it's a bigger indictment? of? Do you think it's more them being confident in Mike White or them being unconfident in Zach Wilson? Both. God, what a, what a time to be a Jets fan. Here in the AFC, the division went 1-3 and three over the weekend with the Bills as its lone winner. You know, you know what that means, Chris. Monday morning coffee tastes better. Hangovers seem almost irrelevant. And obviously, that means the Buffalo Bills are back in first place in the AFC East and atop the entire AFC as of today. I will drink to that. Also, shout out to Mark Smith, 
who bowled his fourth 300 game ever. That's probably the only sport he can excel at. Is bowling. What makes you say that? He's a pretty good softball pitcher, dog. No. <laughs> How no. dare you? Some, How dare you? Someone with that physique would only be good at bowling or darts. <laughs> as as he is our official counsel, Chris, I believe that you owe the man a little bit more respect than that. What's also, your what's your high score for bowling? I have literally Never bowled over a 199. I've never been able to break it. I've come close like 17 different times. Can't break it. Can I explain to everybody why that is? Why? It's simple. Bowling takes a combination of speed and accuracy with the ball to hit the pocket to get all the pins down. You approach the bowling alley like you're fucking Donkey Kong throwing <laughs> barrels at Mario. You mean you're not supposed to do it overhand? Yeah, I would expect <laughs> you to throw him overhand. It is it is really embarrassing. My highest is 223, thanks for asking. I was hoping I once I once I, when you brought up the question, I kind of knew. I'm like I don't think I want to know the answer. <laughs> We're just going to gloss over this. Yeah, yeah, 223. <laughs> Damn it. What, is that because you're an athlete and I'm yes. not? <laughs> yes. Well, either way, congratulations to Mark Smith and congratulations to the Buffalo Bills for being the football team we all knew you could be. And so we kick things off with the New England Patriots who just got absolutely suffocated by the Buffalo Bills 24 to 10. Chris, what was the uh, the stat from the podcast that we our recap podcast? They went forty eight minutes without scoring a point. <laughs> Sounds about right. Christian, your synopsis of our reaction podcast was spot on. You go these two these two hyenas cackling about this. I hope they, <laughs> I hope they get devoured by lions like that. I understand. I do. So now I want to ask you a question. Everybody knows what it's like to be around me when Bill's games are going disastrously. What's a game like like that in the Simonelli household like? I can tell you that my wife worked late Thursday, so she kept texting me because she was she's a physical therapist, so she's going in and out of rooms and the game's on. And um, surprisingly, even though it was on Prime, people had it like on like their phones and stuff, and they were watching it. And she kept saying, "Oh my God, how are you?" <laughs> she kept texting me like every twenty minutes. She's like, "I'm kind of glad I'm not home." And I, and I was just in in a very just in my room by myself <laughs> in the dark with only the light of the TV, just seething <laughs> at the TV. I'm picturing Emperor Palpatine. You're just in there, just staring. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I needed was a cloak. Oh, so I was going to say, so you're not a you're not a profanity guy. You're not a march around and throw your hands in the air guy. You just seethe quietly. I'm the most obnoxious person when they win and the quietest when they lose. <laughs> you and half the Patriots fan base. Oh, <laughs> zinger. I totally cliche. No, but true. It's totally true. You don't. you know. Brady had a saying one time, when you win, say little. When you lose, say less. Yeah. Belichick, Belichick told him that one time. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I don't say anything when we lose because yeah. <laughs> there's nothing to say. I, there's really nothing to say because they didn't do anything. Well, I'll tell you what. You didn't have to because a lot of your friends got together because, again, like like the person I am, I basically like a dog that found something that smelled bad in the yard rolled around and all. I was listening to the Greg Hill show to start the morning over there on WEI <laughs> and I streamed it all morning long and it was everything that I wanted it to be and people made mashups and some of the calls the interview with Bill like everything was great and this rising sentiment like obviously we did our recap of the game but this rising sentiment I want to know what's happened over the rest of the week because one of the prevailing themes of that Friday morning was that people were upset with Bill Belichick and there's it, that noise is starting to get louder. I know you're one of these people in this camp about Bill Belichick and his ego. There's something about Bill that I saw. It was a very uncharacteristic Belichick move, which is that he like basically just let Buffalo kneel the ball out. I've never seen Bill Belichick concede a game. I've never seen him go, hey, there's still time on the clock, but we're not going to try to make the smartest decision to maybe put points, maybe put ourselves in a better position. You guys are taking a knee? Great. Wonderful. I have timeouts, but I don't give a shit. We're just going home. I have never seen that from Bill Belichick. And so when all of that deluge of just negativity about Bill Belichick came on Friday, it was kind of, again, I'm taking it in through the eyes of, well, he's done something, un- like, again, this is uncharacteristic. No one's familiar with it. First of all, has any of that cooled since then? Slightly. Um, I can tell you that, you know, we're almost a week removed from the game. At this point, you'd be on the next opponent. Talk shows, podcasts are still filled with, you know, Number one, the lack of game plan. Basically, the game plan was for you guys not to have another blowout like you did in the wild card game. I mean, I, I believe that you guys could have put up 40 points easy. Like, in your sleep, you could have put up 40, quite frankly. And Bill coached scared. Bill coached like he didn't have confidence in his team. They certainly don't have confidence in their quarterback to do anything. That's quite clear. And you can blame the offensive line being bad and the wide receivers not being good, but they don't trust this kid. You know, they don't trust this kid. Um, and then people will say, well, they're trusting him the week before. And look, he threw for almost 400 yards against Minnesota. Is that the real guy? Or is it the guy that we've seen the majority of the time, which is average at best at, quarter, at the quarterback position? Well, it's tough almost when you're two playing. Years in, look look um, who you're playing on defense. You're talking about Minnesota who just let the Jets look like world beaters in offense. Exactly. Exactly. <clears throat> And I so, exactly. so what I did, because again, I'm a petty son of a bitch, I'm on Reddit. And that's where I really started to dig into this, because, again, there's more stuff here. If anyone wanted to look into way, the ways the coaching staff failed this team. Uh, so somebody from, let's see, Chad Graff had this tweet about he goes, there's, there's a lot that was baffling about the Patriots offense today, but a draw play. On second and one with 50 seconds left in the first half is wild. Then they followed yeah. it up with, with a delayed timeout, then a quarterback sneak, then their final timeout. And he's like, and they walked away with no points. Like, none of that got you anywhere. 
Like, what is that from a coaching perspective? <laughs> and when you see it through that lens, you go, holy shit. Like that, if Chris, if Sean McDermott did something like that in a half where you're only trailing 17, seven at the time, wouldn't you be, you'd be pissed, right? You would be at his house with a U-Haul truck when he got back. <laughs> I would be, I'd already have it in the driveway. Just going, come on, Sean. We're not talking about this. Get, get in. So then, and you're talking about the things have kind of chilled, but I want to know what was the knee jerk reaction? Cause again, I didn't listen to WEI for the rest of the week. Fans reaction to Bilicek's Monday admission that dramatic offensive changes, you know, firing anybody, demoting Patricia, putting in a new quarterback. There was no dramatic change coming and that it would probably be too difficult to execute at this point. How did that go over? You know, I, 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 well, you know, just get back to your first point real quick. That sequence before the half was some of the worst clock management and and football that I've seen in the Belichick era in this whole time here. Um, as far as his comments go about making changes, I think he knows at this point that he screwed up. And I think it's pretty clear that ownership is going to require him to make a significant change on the offensive side of the ball. To me, there needs to be a significant change on the defensive side of the ball, too. But that's not what you asked. You asked about the offense. <laughs> and specifically, you know, obviously the elephant in the room, Matt Patricia. At this point, it's been so bad. It's just the layup to say, what you know, how bad he missed on it. I think people now are saying there's five games left. This, this doesn't look like a team that is going to make the playoffs at all and do any anything significant. This game against Arizona, who has the worst red zone defense in the league, who is just, I mean, despite the fact that they have all the talent in the world, is just a total underachiever and not a good team. If they lose this game, you know, then I think the interest will really start to wane. But I think there's still that hope at 6-6 six and six that people that they'll sneak into the playoffs because a lot of things kind of went well for them last week as far as, like, the teams that lost – so it isn't a total, you know, oh, my God, there's no shot. But I think people were happy that he did acknowledge by saying that he wasn't going to make changes this year. He knows his problems. He already knows that, that yeah. problems. I mean, how can he not? You know? <laughs> that's, that's what I was going to say. He's, and that's the thing that drives me crazy. Like, when I talk to you guys in the summer, everybody from my mailman to, like, the fourth, the four-year-old kid down the street knew that putting Patricia in that spot and judge was going to be a disaster, except him, except him. And he said, if it goes wrong, blame me. Okay. Well, now we're blaming you. December. It's time. We're blaming you. Here's it's the crow. Time. I expect you to eat it. <laughs> do you want, do you want blue cheese? Do you need Frank's? Like, what is it that you need to eat this crow? But I'm bringing it to you, Bill, because you said you would be the guy who ate the crow in the event that this happened. Now, you right. And the narrative around here on talk shows is that he said that. Because his arrogance deep down inside, he felt it was going to work. So yes. that when we got to this point in there, he would say, see, it worked. I told you you could blame me. How about giving me credit? Not that he would actually come out and say that, but that's sort of the narrative that people are saying, like, well, he was just doing that because he was he, he figured it was going to work. It's funny. So, you said you don't no like the defensive side of the ball because this is a funny thing. Aaron Schatz, after the game ended, 
came out and said the Bills averaged 6.3 yards per play. Tonight, they had 5.2. The idea that the Patriots' defense was exposed, quote-unquote, is silly. This is what happens when a good D plays a good offense. You don't dominate, but you slow them down. But the offense was the albatross. He's 100% correct. If you guys could hold blow for blow, 24 points isn't a blowout. It felt like a blowout because you could not move the football because you went 48 minutes with no points. Now, I look at this, right, and I I hear some of the things that you're talking about, and we're talking about this coach not eating his crow. (laughs) We're talking about a coach who will not eat his crow. And I'm an Alabama fan. You know who's really good friends with Bill Belichick is Nick Saban. And one of the things, one of the things that has that, that crippled the Alabama, the Alabama Crimson Tide this year and kept them out of the college football playoff is the fact that it's something Joe Marino actually put in my head during training camp this year when we did a bar show uh, with John Fiena and a bunch of guys. I asked him. What do you think? What is this? What do you make of this deal up in Foxborough? Are you worried or are you concerned that they might actually put it together? And he said, no, what this is, is a byproduct of having been around for too long because you've exhausted the Rolodex. Every coach has a Rolodex of people they coach and you run out of guys because if they do well, they get jobs. You know, Sarkeesian is now coaching Texas. Bill O'Brien is your offensive coordinator after he failed in the NFL. That's the only reason he's back. Meanwhile, on the defensive side of the ball, Nick Saban has to go to a 38-year-old, a guy my age, to call the defense who doesn't know that it's a good idea to spy the quarterback from LSU who's an an athlete. Twice! He scores a touchdown to tie the game, and then you let him do it to you in overtime. Like, you died on the hill of hubris that you thought that I could just plug in any 38-year-old idiot from my staff and he'd be fine. Bilicek is dying on the same hill, the hill of yeah. arrogance, because he thought he could just make water from wine, a uh, wine from water. He could put Joe Judge and Matt Patricia together and that'll, that'll work. That'll make, that'll make good offensive plays. It's happening again. Both Nick Saban and Bill Belichick deserve to eat crow. The difference is, is that... One of them has millions of dollars in booster money behind him, <laughs> a contract that's <laughs> lengthy. And one of them is 70 something years old in the NFL where head coaches with term get fired all the time. I yeah. just wonder where this goes for Patriots fans. And I guess that dynamic, I mean, if they announced tomorrow, Bill Belichick was fired, would you be in favor or not? Yeah, I'm in favor. It's time to go. He's been here too long. You just said about him being here and exhausting sort of the resources for, for coaches. I don't care who you are. When you're in a place 23 years and you've had the success that, he had, that he's had, there is going to be that hubris and that arrogance that's going to be like, my way is the right way and I know. And it's not that he's stubborn or isn't willing to change. We just acknowledge that he knows that the problem is on offense. But it's a culmination of everything in the past really three or four seasons for me that would seal it. If I'm the owner and I sit down with him, I say, look, I got a litany of like a list of five reasons here right off the hop from the draft to the coaching staff to the free agency boom that we spent close to $300 million that we got basically two players back in Hunter Henry and Matt Jude on four. Everything else really hasn't worked out to, um, the uh, basically the 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 in Brady's last year the forcing of going out and trading for Mohamed Sanu for a second round pick and drafting 
excuse me, and then going out and betting Antonio Brown for six days and then having to cut him. All that stuff, it's a buildup. This defense hasn't been able to stop anybody since they beat the Rams in the Super Bowl. Any offense with a pulse since 2018 that they've gone up against, they've lost. They can, they can coach fine against the Clevelands and the, and the Detroits of the world, but when it comes to you guys or Minnesota or somebody with a legitimate offense, a decent offense, they get smoked. And that's why I would part with him because I think he's lost a little bit off his fastball and the X's and the O's, and he can no longer manage a program. It's time. And a clean house. Take your kids with you. Take your <laughs> lackeys with you. Take them all. Take them all. Go to Nantucket. Twinkle your toes in the sand with Linda. Have a good time. Love them to death. See you at the red jacket ceremony for the Patriots Hall of Fame and the, and the gold jacket for the Hall of Fame. See you then. Time for a change. Time to go. Chris, I'm just picturing what his son, uh, who I call football's Joe Dirt, <laughs> what, what would Bill Belichick's son would look like shirtless sitting on a beach? Well, Steve Belichick would actually show up to the whatever the like the Patriots Ring of Honor and Hall of Fame wearing a tuxedo T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> he probably would. Christian, I love you. I love you for your brutal honesty. Where can everybody else follow you on social media so they can get a taste of this here while the Patriots circle the 2022 drink? Circle the drain at Chris with the TIN on, on uh, the cesspool that is Twitter. I got to say, these Bills followers, they're racking up. I think they just here for the entertainment. I don't know. But <laughs> I follow them all back. I don't block anybody. I follow anybody. Just don't get nasty on there. We'll, we'll have a good time. And so that brings us to the New York Jets, now residing firmly in third place. Usually this is where Scott Mason of Play Like a Jet would join us. But honestly, first of all, he did our preview show this week, and he's not here right now. We do, however, have uh, Pastor Andy Parks in studio with us right now. He's in for tonight's show. Is it crazy that the Vikings, of all the teams that you expected to sweep the AFC East this year, did you have the Vikings on your bingo card? Absolutely not, no. <laughs> Chris, is that not one of the dumber things you've heard? Yeah, yeah. I've uh, in my pick them, I picked the Jets to win. So, like, I was at work and I was... I saw the goal line stance, and then I went back to a different department and did a couple of things, and I came back, and they had, Minnesota had punted. I'm like, all right, second time. We're going to get it here. So I can, Because a lot of people pick the Vikings in my pool, and I picked the Jets. Nope. Didn't happen. What failure I again. What I love, I saw, I saw the graphic today about if every team – in the NFL, had if the inverse was true in terms of their one-score games, if they lost, if all of their one-score games they lost, if they had won them, and what the divisions and conferences would look like outside of that and what the playoff picture would look like, think about the Vikings. That's been their whole season. Right. If you would have told me the Vikings were going to play the Bills just as tough as the Jets, I wouldn't believe you. No. It, beginning of the year? Absolutely not. No. What's crazier is that if you reverse all the all, all of the outcomes of their one score games, they're basically holding a top two draft pick. It's been an insane ride That's that wild. that team is on. Yikes. And the fact that the AFC East is one of the NFL's most most competent or at least competitive divisions, mm -hmm. the fact that they swept it. Like, on one hand, you go, everything... Look at the line against the Lions. They're somehow underdogs against this Lions team with a great offense, knowing how terrible that Vikings defense is. And at the same time, they keep winning football games. 
Something has to give here. The Vikings only have one win by more than a touchdown. Exactly. That's nuts. Yeah. Everything's by less than a touchdown. The line for this week makes sense because it's this is Kirk Cousins at one o'clock. Yeah. True. Kirk Cousins is the king of one o'clock. Yeah, I mean he threw for less than two hundred yards this past week right. at one o'clock. It's almost like if you were gonna bet Lions Vikings this week, you would smash the over. Probably. In fact, yeah, that's probably a, yeah. Chris, you you make a lot of terrible bets, but that might be a good one. That's why I'm up on the season. So if we're talking about the New York Jets, first of all, I, I watched this game. I watched this game while putting the finishing touches on my my in-house basement bar that i've been trying to remodel since we bought the house i saw a photo of it it's cute you have five bottles yeah yeah sorry we can't <laughs> all have 50 like a drunk except you know what the problem see, see here's the difference though i actually can't have 50 bottles in my house because i drink them like an adult i don't drink three sips out of a bottle and then go buy three more i drink a bottle until it's gone which usually doesn't take long no, I gotta have I gotta have all of I have to have all of the whiskey. So I'm watching this 1 p.m. game, and I never thought I would find myself being on the same side as Jets fans. I feel like I was frustrated on their behalf watching the way that all played out. I mean, you want to talk like Scott Mason on Twitter said, if I'd have told you the Jets would outgame the Vikings. 486 to 287 while holding Kirk Cousins to 173 and Justin Jefferson to under 50. You'd have thought the Jets would win by double digits. Sure. How did they lose this game? Like, what is this? Oh, I know. Red zone inefficiency. How do you kick five consecutive field goals? That's that's Buffalo Bills drought era football. Oh, for sure. Chris. Yeah, I would, you know, at some point, depending on how far you are in the red zone with these field goals or close to a first down, at some point you got to go, you know what? I need a touchdown. I got to go for it. Here. Even just for my own, I don't know what you want to call it, my own chutzpah, my own, like, I need my players to believe in what the hell we're doing out here. Sure. Let's go for one. So what's crazy to me is you get to the, like the half foot line, fourth down and you call a run play that requires you to hand the ball off at the five-yard line, of course your running back gets tackled for a loss. Like, what the hell is going through their coaching staff's head? Yeah, what did they think was going to happen? I, I don't know. You watched their defensive line stand up on the last two plays. Did mm-hmm. you really think that this was going to go well? Yeah, well, I would have preferred the Jets to run the ball and then not put it in Mike White's hands to throw it. Well, and that's it, I guess. So yeah. is that an indictment of them not trusting? Like, they say all the right things. You heard it at the top of the show. They say all the right things about, oh, this is Mike White's opportunity to make noise. When they have a situation with time left that even if it doesn't go well, they can make it up later. Sure. They don't let him throw the ball. They take it out of his hands on an ill-designed run play for the situation. It blows up in their face. The Vikings burn a bunch of clock and punt again. So now you get the ball back. They come back down inexplicably, and finally this time they go, hey, I've got it. Let's throw the ball from near the goal line. But you know that first-round draft pick, Elijah Moore, that we have? You know, the guy we spent a huge piece of draft capital on, this shifty slot wide receiver. Instead, we're going to design a play for Braxton Berrios, the kick returner. 
Like at a certain point, you as a coach, like, doesn't that feel like overthinking it, Andy? Absolutely. And the fa- I feel like they trust Mike White more than they trusted um, Zach Wilson. But they, that is, you know, by comparison, not even that great because they don't trust. Uh, they, they don't trust. Um, yeah, they don't trust him enough. It's just nuts. They, they don't trust him, and they don't trust the people around him to make plays. Chris, why would you draft a guy in the first round and then say, you know who I need in a critical moment? The kick returner. Yeah, I don't I don't get that. They should trade him. Uh, and then Mike White. Yeah. Like, Mike White looked good. He's this week's opponent for the Buffalo Bills. So I was kind of interested. I was kind of watching his performance. Like, the Jets' offense with him has its moments. Mm-hmm. But... Without run support, like he can't get in the end zone. Yeah. It's either we run the ball in or we do not score touchdowns. And that's been the theme regardless of who's the quarterback. They had a really rough time. And, and like you look at Mike White through six games now. 65% completion percentage. Eight touchdowns, ten picks. Now, that those interceptions are inflated because he had four against Buffalo last year. Right. But... Who's up next on the docket? The same team that you just threw four interceptions to. It's seven and a half yards per attempt. You know, he's averaging two seventy two. Like that's those are intriguing numbers, but they're not gonna they're not franchise quarterback. Oh my god, we need we can't replace this guy numbers. And the sample size isn't even really big enough to make a determination on Mike White. But I mean, you have a Jets team that is so young and so talented. They've got so much going for him, but at the quarterback position, it's just uh carousel of mediocrity have we seen this before (laughs) wait what are you referencing mark sanchez oh Uh, no i'd put sanchez in a class above zach wilson and mike white would you though maybe like a half step let's let's put that to the test because i think this is one of those things where i think memory they have makes things rosier than they actually were the jets the the jets currently have a halfway decent run game a below mediocre quarterback and a pretty good defense. I don't think they've given up a passer over like 225 yards all season. The defense has been pretty stout, which is what but Mark, Mark Mark Sanchez had a good defense and a good running game. He just couldn't take it over the top. Did Mark Sanchez ever have a defense quite as dynamic as the one that the Jets currently have? Uh, I believe. I mean, they, they were did. they were yeah, good. I mean, the one that beat the Patriots and took them to the AFC title game and back. Okay, they years. were pretty good. Okay. They were- all right, okay. And this is where I think that recency bias creeps into the way we remember things. Yes. And also we forget history. You're talking about Mark Sanchez. Mark Sanchez never had a, with the New York Jets, never had a completion percentage higher than 56% for a season. Wow. He, let's see, 2,800 yards in 15 starts, uh, 32, 24, 34. His touchdown to interception ratio was pretty close. Every single year, uh, the, the highest, the, the biggest separation he ever got was twenty six and eighteen, where he got eight touch, uh, eight touchdown differential. Otherwise, it was seventeen and thirteen, thirteen and eighteen. Like those are <laughs> those are some those are some numbers right there. <laughs> I think Yikes. we I think we forget because of the performance of the team right. and what they accomplished, just how bad he was. So, Chris, maybe they do. Like, again, this is a Jets franchise that hasn't had a quarterback in how long? Since Ken O'Brien. You're trying to remember the last good Jets quarterback, like the one you could really say, well, there's their guy. Chad Pennington. 
Ken O'Brien. I can't but, but imagine. Was Pennington, I can't in my lifetime. But was Pennington their version of what Ryan Fitzpatrick was here? Oh, like, yeah. He gets remembered fondly, but realistically, he was not a great quarterback. No, nobody walked into New York saying, oh, man, we have to play Chad Pennington. What are we going to do? I, I mean, I think that anything, if anything, you know, just kind of speak to the intro to tonight's show in terms of the Jets. The fact that they're talking about, hey, this is Mike White's chance to make some noise. It should sound like lunacy that a number two overall pick has now been benched for what this coaching staff is categorizing as, fuck it, let's take a flyer. Let's take a flyer. Yep. (laughs) Chris, you drafted a guy number two. Yeah. That that would get people thrown in the who's gal. Like, if you did this... (laughs) <laughs> and and you're, 85 Soviet Russia, you'd all be in jail. Yeah. And the third quarterback on their roster is Joe Flacco, who has won a Super Bowl before. And they're like, nah, man, you're inactive. You're number three, a distant number three. Yeah, his time's done. Yeah. Who's going to have the longer NFL backup career? Because I'm looking at him the way I'm looking at Baker Keith Mayfield. Like, both, like, there's going to be a nuclear holocaust, and it's going to be the cockroaches, Keith Richards, and Joe Flacco. Like, they're going to be the only things that survive. And Joe Flacco is still going to be someone's quarterback. And maybe Matt Ryan, too. He <laughs> keeps Matt kicking Ryan. around. He keeps kicking around. Hey, here's, a, here's the best part. Me and my idiot friend Neil got, you know, got hammered during the draft where both Matt Ryan and Joe Flacco were drafted. It's funny you mentioned his name. We put, because at the time we're both dumb sure. and also half in the bag, we make a bet of a case of beer on who's going to have a better career, Joe Flacco or Matt Ryan. Now, people can debate what makes a quarterback great, if it's a Super Bowl ring, but a lot of that's... Because, you know, if you're you're a Bruce Nolan fan, you know that wins aren't a quarterback stat. You can get get Trent Dilford. You can get carried to a title. Sure. So what is it that differentiates a good quarterback from a bad quarterback? Is it the rings you win? Is it... I don't know. Is it statistical performance? Is it who outlasts the other in the NFL? I think that Matt Ryan is a is a great example of longevity not necessarily being a virtue. Yeah, he's not aging well. No, Chris. Between the two of them, who would who do you think's winning right now? Flacco. He's got a Super Bowl. It's the ultimate. By Trump. that logic, Trent Dilfer is a better quarterback than Dan Marino. I mean, he's like I said what I said. Yeah, <laughs> there's, see, this is wow. Like, but the, the, and do you see the smug look on his face when yeah. he says it? I'm glad you're here to experience <laughs> the this. metric. The metrics you would use between Flacco and Matt Ryan are relatively close, I believe. Well, between like passing all time passing yards, touchdowns. I mean, Dan Marino didn't get to a Super Bowl because he didn't want to run the goddamn ball. <laughs> Hey, he never- talk to Jim Kelly about that. Right? Yeah. Here's what I'll say. I need you guys, the listeners, tweet us at Rockpile Report. I need to know who you think right now is winning this bet so I can text my friend and be like, listen, they're both they're both on their last go round. Mm-hmm. We hope because if Joe Flacco comes back somewhere next year as a backup, I'm not convinced Joe Flacco is washed up. I'm convinced Joe Flacco doesn't care. Oh no, he's absolutely apathetic. Chris, remember the scene when he was his last game with the Ravens? Yeah, he's he's on the bench. He's warming up because uh, Lamar Jackson's melting down in his very first career playoff game. Yes, and he's on the bench 
and you have I don't know who was the backup at the time. Was it RG three? Yeah, RG three's the back, the third string. Lamar Jackson's the starter. He started to warm up, and when they told him like Joe, we're not putting you in, even no matter how bad the kid does, we're gonna fail with him. Right. So he sat back down. Now they're sitting on either side of him. Right. And he leaned forward so that they could talk over his shoulders, but he wouldn't get up off the bench. No, he wouldn't. He move. didn't just get up and walk away so that they could sit next to each other and actually talk, maybe look at the tablet together. He sat there where he was and just leaned forward so they could talk behind, literally behind his back. Yeah. About the job. As if to say. That's if, a man who does not care. Yeah, to say, if you're going to succeed, you're going to do it around me, in spite of me. But <laughs> I'm will, not moving. I will be the rock in the middle of the stream and you will have to flow around me. Yes. It's one of the more hilarious sets of circumstances of who this guy is and how they've aged and how the Jets have found themselves in this quarterback purgatory. Yeah. Like, and it really is because I'm 36 years old. I can't remember a time when the Jets had a quarterback that I legitimately was concerned about playing every like two times a year. <laughs> Chris, you what? Ken O'Brien. What, when they had Brett Favre, the only thing we were concerned about, concerned about then is what he was sending, what he was texting to our inboxes. Yes. <laughs> I still think that whole scandal's hilarious. Yeah. God, the Jets are, it's not going well, but they're still in the thick of things somehow. And it's only time to see if this lack of an actual quarterback can catch up with the talent of the rest of that program. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So that brings us to the Miami Dolphins, who lost a shocker in San Francisco, 33-17. to 17. Elf. Nice. <laughs> Our listeners, uh, you obviously know how some of them feel. Uh, they, they certainly let you hear about it. Uh, I need to know how disappointed, if we're just talking genuine fan disappointment, how disappointed were you in the outcome of this game? Uh, personally, I felt really disappointed at the outcome of this game because it just, you know, not because everybody does this, okay? Uh, and fans do this, and I hate when they do this because it is competition. These are humans, okay? One team plays the other, and then you judge the game by the scoreboard, and if the scoreboard says one thing, that's what happened. But I really felt the the Dolphins kind of handed this game to the, the 49ers, and they missed opportunity after opportunity. And I know Chris Sims, you know, uh, you know, he has his reputation as being like a two hater, but he says that the next time they play, if two hits these throws, he's gonna, he's gonna throw for 500 yards. I kind of, I kind of agree with him. He was bad. 
And even though he was bad, he still threw for 300 yards and hit two big long touchdowns. Well, that was there all day. It was just, it was, it and was that's just the, a bad but that's day. the craziest part about this. So I'm, I, I literally miss kickoff and I look at my phone and I see that it's already seven nothing. I'm like, what the fuck just happened? Oh, 75 yard touchdown pass to start the game. Wonderful. Oh, look, Jimmy Garoppolo is being carted off. Like, that's happening as I turn on the TV. So I immediately just send you a DM. I'm like, well, congratulations. Uh, you know, fucking Brock Purdy. That's a thing. That, that Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure that's a thing that's going to go really well in this game. And then the whole second half, I'm just watching this. I mean, first of all, I have to, we were talking about your fan base really took this one well. Like he really took this with a level head. It's it's one of the things that I love because for as much as people have to say about Bills fans, Chris, you know we're we're uh, entitled that we you know for all the people freaking out about the state of our offense, but then we're still tops in all these metrics and blah 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 blah. How we don't we're overreactionary. We get called Dolphins fans. I feel like they get it. <laughs> They're right there with us. Everything's been going so well. They're bipolar because when you guys are on a five-game winning streak, you guys are on the heater, you know, pennant fever's playing in the background, and then all of a sudden you drop one like this on the road, difficult circumstances without your tackles, and everyone loses their friggin' minds. So for questions for you, I guess it starts with this, that dynamic offense. You're talking about the missed throws. This seemed to be the most uncharacteristic game in a lot of different ways. The missed passes that two has been hitting all season. 13 first half rushing yards and what? I think they only had eight rushing attempts. Is that right? Yeah, eight rushing attempts the entire game. For thir- for 13 yards in a half of football. Uh, you held the- they, ended, they ended with 33 yards rushing on eight attempts. So, so they actually had four yards of carry. So that's, that's all right. <laughs> statistically and that's isn't that one of the fucked up things about statistics right because if you wanted to just cherry pick some stats and go well look they averaged 4.4 yards a carry their rushing attack was good you had 30 yards so (laughs) but therein lies one of the things the biggest things i want to pick your brain about the way coaching had its fingerprints on this one because Two has shown us that he can be a very accurate passer. We all know that Jalen Waddell, Tyreek Hill are fast. When you get the ball in their hands, they can get in space. They can make plays. They can do all kinds of things for you. And this offense can light up scoreboards anywhere they play, at home, on the road. Usually it's the defense that's a little up and down. And yet both struggled in this game and a lot of it goes back. You had a tweet earlier that you were saying, you know, when a game's over, people just are knee-jerk reactionary to blame the players. And I responded with an example of how coaching and play calling really does dictate who's put in what kind of a scenario. And so in your mind, how much of this L hangs on the coaching staff? A lot of it. And, um, you know, some of it is just, you know, boiling the game down to simple matchups. And I had a I had a thread earlier this week about because everybody made a big deal about the the third down conversions. There were nine third down conversions. That there was uh, twenty total. Okay, so Brock Purdy, well, not Brock Purdy. Uh, you could add Brock Purdy and Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo was one for two. Brock Purdy had the rest. They ended up being nine for twenty, but those were a big nine that they converted, mm-hmm. right? 
because those extended drives and you saw the you saw the the time of possession it was it was 41 19 yeah you know yeah. dolphins only ran what was it 41 plays 42 plays something like that well they ran 76 yeah you well, know and, and that's the thing is what they did was they just beat you guys up with volume and kind of in pursuit of that like if we want to start talking about the defensive side of the ball i made the point to your <laughs> to people that you were in your twitter thread about how I'm watching that game and I'm seeing the fact that you guys are getting pressure all of the time. You guys had, uh, I think, like four sacks. The numbers were pretty. The numbers are good. The problem with those types of play calls on defense is that you look at that from the other side and say, well, Christian McCaffrey has 80 yards receiving and nine catches because you're bringing all this pressure. You're incorporating the linebackers into it. And then you're leaving whoever's left with coverage duty kind of on an island against a very good pass-catching running back. You're actually making life really easy on Brock Purdy because he knows he has a safety valve who's very good at yards after the catch. And that crippled you guys. And yet, even late in the game, you saw Boyer struggle to get away from that mentality. I mean, it's clear he thought he could rattle the kid. On the other side of the ball, I have a little bit a harder time understanding some of the... like. I get the like the first of all the balls to call a fourth down conversion attempt from your own like what inside your own twenty. That's it was, it was fourth and two at the eighteen. <laughs> like that's 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 wild. But it's wild. But I'll tell you one thing. Uh, I didn't I didn't mind it after the fact when it happened. I'm like this guy is gambling the entire game right here with nine minutes left. There's nine minutes left. Okay, we're not talking about two minutes. We're talking about nine minutes left. And the Dolphins are down 23-17. And they have all the momentum. They have just come off of three and out. The defense forced the three and out. And they get the ball back. I didn't mind it because Mike McDaniel, after the game, was asked about it. And he said, I was fully aware of what I was doing right there. And I knew that if we didn't get it, it was likely the game. But I had a play. And I wanted to get to that play. And I was certain it was going to work. Wow. And if you watch the play... <laughs> Everything popped, but Tua decided to take the more, more most difficult option, which was to throw it to Tyreek Hill down the field, and that worked. But it was a gimme. Like uh, that yeah. play that he said he wanted to get to, yeah, it, it worked. Well, and see, and that's the thing is, then later in the game, he goes for it again on fourth down, and it ends up being a throw to Gasicki on the sideline, and I saw him, and he looked rattled. Like he's he's mean mugging the officials and he's got crazy eyes on, but the, he never had possession of that football. It wasn't even close. And I think that a lot of his frustration is probably with himself, just for allowing this thing to get away from him to a degree where that was even necessary to begin with. But even at that point, the game was still close. But you could feel it. You could feel that that was the momentum shift. And then Tua turns the ball over on the, the ensuing possession. It's a fumble that gets run back, and then all of a sudden it's 33 points, and you go, wait. You know, I, I see 20, I think it was like, yeah, it was in the 20s. And I go, oh, okay, well, game. And then very quickly it's 33, which were just gratuitous points. That I mean, you call them style points because they probably, <laughs> the game was already won. And I guess from an offensive perspective, what were they trying to achieve on so many of these drives that didn't work? Well, uh, actually, a lot of stuff was working. Uh, Tua had some some inaccuracies. But on that last drive, uh, the third and two, the play right before he throws that out pattern to Gasecki, which 
guess I should have just caught it. He has Greenlaw on him. Uh, I know Greenlaw's a, a good linebacker. You're Mike Kosecki. Mm-hmm. You're a really good pass catcher. You should catch it. To so put that ball right in your belly, okay, with about two yards to go to the sideline. You should have that ball. You should wrestle it away from a linebacker that's on your back, okay? But the play before that one, uh, Tyreek Hill is popping wide open on a dig. And I found the stat, and I found it ridiculous. Tua throws it to – tries to throw it to Tyreek on third and two. Tyreek was wide open. It was going to be like a 20-yard gain. It was going to be go down to the 23-yard line. Dolphins are down by six. They get the touchdown. They take the lead with four minutes left in the game, right? But the ball gets batted down on the at the line. And you're thinking to yourself, well, you know, it's Tua. Do you know how many balls he's had batted, batted down in his career? How many? Six. That was his sixth. <laughs> All Do right. you know how many Justin Herbert has for his career? How many? 48. <laughs> okay. So sometimes luck plays a factor, you know? And that was just bad luck. Tua spots Tyreek, tries to make that throw, gets batted away. Then you have the fourth down play, which is essentially the game. You know? Uh, you don't convert there. And what they were what they were freaking out about, I don't know if you saw it, was Wes Welker and, and Mike McDaniel who were completely freaked out mm-hmm. over that play was that we tried to hurry to the line to run a play and the officials stopped the play from being run. Jeff Saturday just had to deal with that on Sunday night football. He on a series that ended disastrously for his team, they had a play in mind. They were going to rush in line to do it. And they, the official would not let them snap the ball with the defense substituted and ended up going the other way. So, you all right i could see some of that then if that was the context now in terms of the broader picture it sounds like there was a lot of open receivers sounds like there was a lot of great plays being called at least on the offense this all boils down then to tua and just tua having an uncharacteristically terrible day now on one hand you could look at it and say our offensive tackles were both shit they were out. We were playing a team with a very good pass rush. I mean, Greg Little, you know what we think of him. Uh, Brandon Shell, I just and feel- and now and now you know what the Dolphins think of him because they sought to replace him as soon as the game ended. Yes, because they saw that they were like, oh god, this is what everyone was warning us about. Because earlier in the season, he was fooling you all into believing he's an NFL tackle, and <laughs> you guys finally saw it. And you're the frog and the scorpion thing, like you don't know until you know. So. Now you're looking at this and saying, okay, bad tackle play, good pass rush, very good defense in in terms of just their overall cohesiveness, the way they play. How much of this is just like the way the Bills approach that Jaguars game, Chris? You remember that last year we go, fuck it, burn the tape. Yep. It happened. It was bad. We took everybody has those. Everyone has one. We move on and you do move on. And how much of it is, hey, we have some we have some problems here that we do need to try to address and that the coaches have to take note of. I mean, what is the course correction here and where's your personal panic meter? Uh, the personal panic meter is at zero because Tua doesn't miss these throws that often. But the coaches do have to address several things. First of all, yeah, they called some good plays that pop some people open, but they needed to stay a little bit more on schedule. They needed to run the ball more. Eight attempts is just not normal. Uh, Chris Coffin had a great point because everybody was bringing up all week, uh, well, at least so far this week, that the San Francisco running game, which is really, really good, 
only got them 134 yards on 34 carries, and that's pretty good. And Christian McCaffrey had 3.9 yards a carry. But that's not the number you're looking for, okay? That's not what what you care about. You don't care about the 134, and you don't care about the 3.9 per carry. You care about the 34 attempts. And if I tell you before a game, this team is going to run it 34 times, and I tell you, you have to guess. Did they win or did they lose? What would you say? Yeah. No, I hear you. You know what I mean? I so you. they stayed on schedule. Miami did not. Miami chased the game. As soon as it got to 17-10, they chased the game the rest of the way. So that's on coaches because the coaches can control that. And if I had to blame anybody else, like, look, uh, our running backs had an awful game. Jeff Wilson and our fullback, Alec Engel, they missed way too many cuts. They had a game plan for Nick Bosa, and it was absolute, and it blew up in their face. And what what kind of pissed me off is that I called this game plan. I called two things last week. Okay, I was asked, you know, I, I broke down their their uh, their palms coverage, and I said if they stick to the rules. And I don't know if you heard heard me talk about this on a, on the podcast, mm-hmm. but I said if the 49ers stick to their rules and their palms coverages. Tyreek Hill or Jalen Waddell are going to catch an 18-yard dig and take it 70 yards for a touchdown. And as it turns out, it was the first play of the game, and it was Trent Sherfield who took an eight-yard pass and took it 75 yards for a touchdown. So that actually worked. The other thing that I, that I said was, you know, the best way to actually work on a guy like Nick Bosa, in my opinion, he's the best pass rusher in football, the best edge edge player in football. The best, Sometimes the best way to actually devote you know, resources to him is to not devote any resources to him and either and either run plays completely away from him, have him chase plays or run plays completely at him or just cut him all day with fullbacks and mm-hmm. tight ends and don't use a tackle. Because once you start using a tackle and a tight end on Nick Boza, that's when Eric Armstead is going to go crazy and, and beat you up on the other side mm-hmm. or Fred Warner or Aziz or Greenlaw. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they actually tried it. It blew up in their face. Nick Bosa was an absolute menace. He had seven quarterback pressures, three sacks. He kept coming off the edge, and he was he was fabulous. Like none of the none of the fakes that we tried to try to you know delay his rush. Worked. <laughs> he was in he was into his face constantly, and it was in the biggest plays of the game. Well, and that's like, it. You know, that's the margin, though. That's and yeah. that's it when you're going into a game, especially with bad tackles, man. That's something that we're talking about a week here with the Bills going into a game against the Jets, where we go, I don't know, what's the health situation of our tackles? So I get it. It's it's a tough pill to swallow. You guys have a big one coming up on Sunday Night Football that if you guys win next week is going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait to get you on here next week with Nate Geary. It's going to be a great. <laughs> I've been looking forward to this podcast since September. Like it's it's been months in the making. I can't wait. Until then, where can people find your work, and where can they follow you on social media? Well, you, you can follow me on on my personal account at Alf underscore Artiaga. I'm still fighting with 49er fans as of today, <laughs> and one very lonely Colt fan who who decided to mosey on into my 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 timeline. But uh, other than that, you could get me at. The number three yards per carry. That's the Twitter account. And of course, our spot, our, our podcast is anywhere you get your podcast, Spotify, iTunes, anywhere. And that's also the number three yards carry. Alfar Tiaga, Christian Simonelli, no Scott Mason because he's on the preview. So you'd have to go with a, with a tag team. And I forgot that we had 
no Scott this week. In my head, I was going to go three count the whole way, which is a... <laughs> Obscure wrestling references. Which is a trio of dudes that thought they were a boy band. Yeah. Could they actually sing? No. I was going to say, I would no, have liked no. to have seen them all come in and beat up O-Town. No. I Neither can most boy bands, though. No. And that, this is fair. And they, had a, whole, they whole, had a whole angle with Tank Abbott where, like, Tank Abbott, a UFC fighter, was, like, a huge fan <laughs> of a boy band, a fake boy band. Oh, my God. That's WCW for you in the late 90s, <laughs> early <laughs> yes, 2000s. You were watching, see, now, all of, like, I looked at WCW as, like, this is the wrestling for people who are dumb. Not in 1997 like, or early 98. Now, I remember hearing that WCW was winning at some point these wrestling wars. Yeah, 97 to midway through 98. What I know, though, is that I grew up looking at WCW and kind of going, what? The Attitude Era? We were just like, WCW. <laughs> yeah, that's when they fired everybody and went down the, the tank. <sighs> As they should have because it's wrestling. And televised wrestling is yeah. just nonsense. One of these days, uh, we're gonna Anthony, go to Anthony from Cover One. You and me are gonna go to a, a wrestling event at uh, Key Bank Center. You know, I saw, I saw, um, I saw a meme online that was talking about how they were like before Twitter, you had to go to live events. With a piece of construction paper in an event to get your stupid ideas out there into the ether. And there was just a guy at a WWF wrestling match with a sign that just said, Britney Spears is a lesbian. <laughs> and it's like, you know what? What? Yeah. You, you put that, you put, you smuggled that in for this one shining moment. That's your manifesto. And that's your manifesto. Like, that's what I think of when I think of early like 2000s wrestling. It's just nonsense and chaos. It was a circus. That's it was, all it yeah. was. Before we get into the bills here, I'd just like to point this out right now. Based on time and when we're recording this, it's currently 7.53 mm-hmm. on Wednesday. We're nine minutes into the Sabres game okay. against the Blue Jackets. Uh-oh. The Sabres are already up 4 nothing. What? <laughs> the Buffalo Sabres? Yeah. Okay. You don't mean like the Kenosha Sabres. You're not talking right. about the uh, what uh, the they one had, that Taro Sujimoto played for? They had two goals in uh, the span of 22 seconds. Yikes. To make it 3 wow. nothing and 4 nothing. So um, whoever's starting in goal for Columbus has to be out by now. I work with, <laughs> I, I work with a guy, uh, big guy, uh, his name is Jim, but every, he insists everyone calls him Buddha. And Buddha's a gigantic Sabres fan. Uh, he loves the Sabres so much, and I have to follow this team this year because every day he comes into work and he wants to recap the game with me for about 20 minutes before he starts working. Yeah. And you're just such a personable guy yeah. that you're like, you know what, I guess I'll pay attention to this right. just so I can give this guy, because clearly he needs this. Thing. Oh, yeah, no, sure. Yeah, Corpus- I love Buda. I would run through a brick wall for Buda. Cor- Corpusala gave up three goals on five shots. And spent seven and a half minutes on the ice. <laughs> then Merzlikens came in, one goal given up on three shots. So it's not looking good in Columbus. Okay. So Andy, you're a people person. I try to be. And and this is what this is where I love. Like we're going to start this in terms of the Bills segment. You know, obviously you've if you're listening to this, you've already heard our recap podcast. You've listened to our preview podcast. You're listening to this last. 
this is something we're going to talk about in advance of how we normally run down the rooting interests and everything else. But I felt like this was important. Andy Parks is here with us. Pastor Andy Parks, local pastor, mm-hmm. worship leader, passionate Bills fan. Yes. Legitimately one of the two Andys I have ever met. Now, and that's funny because my name is Andrew. Yes. Two of the only Andys I've ever met in my entire life that I didn't immediately think were dickheads. That's high praise. I'll take it. Like, there, there's a reason that I've stuck with Drew my whole life. Mm-hmm. I've never met one. I mean, I went to high school with a kid named Danny Frando, whoever, uh, who everyone thought was cool, and then he set himself on fire in a treehouse. Yeah, real cool. What? This is my point. Like, these are the people. Okay. <laughs> you also are the owner of one of the funnier stories that yes. I've ever heard in my entire life, the T.O. jersey yes. in Philly. Sure. If you don't mind, can you regale our listeners with this? <laughs> sure. I was I went to school to be a minister, and um, when I was uh, out of college in 2008, I got hired at a church in Philadelphia, uh, just south of Philadelphia. And uh, I, was, I was following the Bills quite a bit, obviously, at that point, so I was... Um, Shooting my mouth off a lot, but while well, T.O. was a free agent, I'm not. Was he cut or was he? Uh, he got cut. He got cut. Okay. By the Eagles. However, he became a free agent. Um, yeah. So he was out there. I shot my mouth off a lot. I was like, I can sleep easy at night knowing T.O. is not going to the Bills. We don't have the quarterback for it. We don't have the coaching staff for it. Uh, we wouldn't know what to do with him if he got here, and he wouldn't play here for all the money. Uh, all the money we could offer him. So no, it's not going to happen. Told everybody who would listen. You know, what we did have was a key to the city. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. <laughs> Oh, that was the currency that made it happen. So the, the bills do sign T.O. and I have to eat some crow for that. I'm like, all right, fine, whatever, whatever. Um, so I I don't get to preach very much. Cause I'm the assistant pastor, but the senior pastor did. Um, I, I think against his better judgment, let me let me preach the Sunday morning sermon that week. And I was preaching um, about how uh, tribalism is a bad thing. How about only caring about people who are just like you or think and believe like you um, is bad, or only caring about people who have something to offer you. Uh, so if it's in your best interest, I was talking about how you should care about people, even if they have nothing to offer you, even if they uh, don't believe as you believe or even believe in a way that is opposed to how you believe. So to make that point, I had bought myself a Bill's T.O. jersey and I pulled it out of my bag as a, to demonstrate it. And I heard gasps from the Philadelphia sports fans in the in the congregation. And then I heard booze. <laughs> First of all, classy Philadelphia, Chris, booing a man of God in church. In the middle of a sermon. <laughs> I was still going. And so I, I, I had to like calm them down. And I was like, look, you don't like this guy because of how his time in Philly ended and because of how he behaved in Dallas. And now he plays for my team. Um, and you don't have to like the man, but you do need to uh, respect him as uh, a man created in the image of God, as a child of God. And. And I kind of got through the end of the sermon, and they feel like they got through the end of the sermon too. And at the end, you got to go in the back and uh, uh, toward the back door, and you know, shake some hands and say hi to people as they're leaving. I go back up after that's all done. Someone had stolen the to jersey off the platform in the front of the church. You stole from a man of God inside. Like, like the thing about church is, it's like, listen. The belief is, is that God is everywhere. Yeah. True. Like yes. if, if you believe, and I'm sure there's some agnostics who are listening to this. I, it doesn't have to be your belief, but no, realistically, the belief is, is that God is everywhere. God right. is in everything. And if but you, he's definitely in that building. Right. Like more so than anywhere else. God is in that building and in a house of God. You broke one of the Ten Commandments. <laughs> like, what the hell? Yeah. 
I, I couldn't believe it. And and when I was uh, finally, uh, I was fired from that church. But I when mm-hmm. I was done at that church, um, someone did finally like leave it in my office right before I I moved and left the city. But yeah, no, it was it was frustrating. I think I got fired because my senior pastor was a uh, a Panthers fan, and I had <laughs> and I'm in the in the the first day that I was on the job after I. I moved all my stuff down there. I met my senior pastor and he he's like, Hey, I'm a Panthers fan. And without thinking, I just said the Panthers. I didn't know they had fans. I thought that was just an end zone with a restaurant nearby. Oh, and it was the relationship was just downhill from there. Tribalism. It's, it's the exact thing you're trying to preach. Yeah. I I was just (laughs) busting his chops and uh, apparently he did not like his chops busted. So, and Chris, isn't this whole, like, almost the theme of this podcast is kind of breaking down tribalism. Yeah. Us bringing in people of other fan bases, other ilks, mm-hmm. and having a good time. Talking a little bit of shop, talking a little bit of football. Yeah. So, what I, 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 we talk about all of this because we're doing something together. Because Andy and I kind of have a history sure. together of sorts. Uh, it started a couple years ago. Where there was a listener of the show named Eric. I know you're out there. You're hearing this right now. He's. I remember at the time he wanted to like post a big thing about it. And I was like, I don't want it to be a big thing because realistically, I didn't do it to get attention. I did it because you reached out to me with a comment that like hurt my heart a little bit. You know, it was in the aftermath of the Paradise, uh, the campfire out in California. Mm -hmm. And he just commented on one of the podcasts that I had posted online and was like, well, ever since me and my father lost everything, including all of our Bills memorabilia, the team is 3-0. and So maybe the football gods have accepted our sacrifice <laughs> and they're finally smiling on, on us. And this is back in 2018 when right. nothing like that was a bad year. That was not a good year. And like that just struck me in such a way. And so I remember like talking about it and then getting connected with you on sure. social media. Yeah. And so between the two of us, we put together a gigantic care package of stuff and sent it out to him for him and his father to start rebuilding their collection with. And he still talks about it to this day. Like, and I'm happy. I've said it over and over again. If the podcast ends tomorrow, that will go down as one of like my favorite things about getting to do this is that there was somebody out there whose life is made better tangibly by something that I did. Yes. Specifically because we had this thing. So then, Chris, we're sitting there, we're drinking, we're all hanging out, we're waiting for the uh, kickoff of the Bills-Ravens game in 2020. Andy Parks reaches out to us and he goes, hey guys, I have this extra Cole Beasley jersey. Yeah. I don't know what, t- he's like, can you guys like give it away, raffle it off? So we did a giveaway with it. And again, so how did you come into possession of an extra Cole Beasley jersey? I, I bought it for uh, for my aunt, who's a, a huge Bills fan. She is uh, one of these ladies. She lives by herself, but in her house by herself with the windows shut, you can hear her like a block away screaming at the TV during Bills games. She's just that level of uh, tiny, okay. tiny Polish lady intensity. Um, but yeah, I she said she wanted a Cole Beasley jersey for Christmas. I bought her one, and then by the time it got it got here in the mail, like two weeks before Christmas, she had already bought one for herself anyway. <laughs> so I'm like, well, I had this extra jersey. I'm not a jersey guy. What good could we do with this? It's not going to do anybody any good sitting in my closet. So, and that's the type of person you are. You were just like, what good can we do with this? So fast forward to the Sunday night football game tailgate, and you show up, and in your possession, you have this autographed football. Oh, yeah. So you obtained that. Yeah, I took my kids to their first Bills game, the Kids Day game against the Lions. Was it Lions we played? I believe so. Chris. The Kids Day game was against the Lions, right? 
All usually was crazy hot in 20, my, 2018. No, this year. This year? Yeah. Yeah. I, just, I don't ever remember us not playing the Lions in preseason. Especially, like, I feel like Lions game is kids, get, kids day game. Like, that's the thing. But whatever. I took my kids to the kids day game. And uh, it was the day where it was, like, 85 degrees and, like, no clouds, all sun. My kids lasted until, like, the beginning of the second quarter. And they're like, I want to go home. I want to go home. So we, we made them stick it out till halftime, at least. Um, as we're leaving, there's a, a couple there who were sitting next to us that we got to talk to and got to know a little bit. And uh, they had these blind bags of signed footballs that they were selling down at the in the concourse. And the guy walks up to us and says, hey, um, we bought this blind bag autographed football. We already had this one here. You and your kids can have it to celebrate their first game. And it's a, a football signed by Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer. So that's great. My kids are six and eight. They immediately wanted to take it out of its plastic bag and throw it around the backyard. <laughs> to which I told them, like, we have a football for that, and we will do just that. But this is that's not what this is for. Yeah, this is something. This has meaning and value to yeah. people. It's it, it, it's a thing. It's like can't look, just kick it around. Like this is lost on them. Like this is a very nice gesture that this this couple did for our kids. But this is lost on them. They they won't understand any value for it until years after both Poyer and Hyde have you know retired from the NFL. Mm-hmm. And even then, they probably won't care all that much. So I'm like, well, again, what good can we do with it? How can we um, how can we make you know make something out of this nothing that kind of fell into my lap? And so with that in mind. What what Andy and I have come up with is, again, in in the idea of the season of giving, a donation drive raffle, if that's what you want to call it, a contest. You know, we're teaming up with Bill's Long Snapper, Reed Ferguson, and the After the Snap podcast for this. We're going to help out the Friends of the Night people. Okay, great. So what this is, they, they operate food pantry services downtown. Yep. They operate a soup kitchen. They also provide warm clothing to the city's homeless. And, like... In terms of like, so that's a charity I donate to every year, just personally, privately. They do fantastic work. One of the reasons that I do it is why it's important to me is because I have a relative, my Uncle Mark, who when you see people who are, I think that the term that they're throwing around now is the housing challenged. Is that it? There's a PC term out there for it. I don't know what it is. I'm going to get yelled at for saying the word homeless. But realistically... My Uncle Mark, like people, when I see people like that, I know firsthand that they don't all start out that way. No. It's, it's usually a long road to get there. And I've watched it firsthand. Now, my Uncle Mark, he, he had a, being the youngest out of my mom's family and just having kind of a turbulent upbringing and then had some stuff happen to him that left him a little unsettled and he didn't have the right support structures in place. So he joined the military. Okay. Figuring that would give him some structure. He got a girlfriend. He did all the things he thought he was supposed to be doing. They had two kids. He comes home from deployment in Germany to find out that she long ago had moved all of his stuff into a storage locker and had moved someone else into their home who his children were looking at his dad because they were too young to know the difference. And with nowhere to go and no one to turn to, it broke him. Yeah. And I remember when my grandfather, like, it, he was he was off the grid for about a year. He he finally found his way to a shelter. My grandfather was able to make contact with him when he flew to Seattle to go get him and brought him home. Everything he owned was in a small paper bag, like what you'd get at the hardware store. Not even like a full-size paper bag, like the Home Depot sure. paper bag. 
And I just remember seeing that image as a kid and just thinking to myself, like, oh, wow. I remember seeing you, like, meeting you when you were in your army fatigues and you were this big, strong guy and you did everything. How did you get from there to here? It could happen to anybody. And that's it. It's that without the right support system and and God, who knows where he'd be if he didn't, if he hadn't found his way to that shelter, mm-hmm. if they hadn't housed him and given him means to reach out because there was no internet. There was no social media. There was nothing. Yeah. He, if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't know him as an adult. And so in that way, I feel like this is a very vulnerable community of people who need help. So I donate to them every year. So here's what we're going to do. We're setting up a drive. Donations to Friends of the Night people, whether they're made online or in person, for every $5 that are donated, $10, that constitutes as an entry. So if it's $10, it's two. If it's 15, it's three. We're going to do the drawing live on the air. Okay. Andy, you'll come back and join us during our Festivus Celebration podcast on the the, uh, 21st. We'll be raffling off. A, uh, I mean, I'm just looking at this now. We've got the signed football, the Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde football. Okay. A pair of autographed mini helmets. Okay. I'm also going to be buying, giving away a copy of uh, Tyler Dunn's book, Blood and Guts, the hard copy book about the history of tight ends in the NFL and why it's so important to the game. Okay. Guys, basically, here's what you need to do. Can I add something to that? Sure. Um, I'm going to donate a pair of, um, and you guys might not care about this, but a pair of uh, the, the Funko Pop figures. I've got a Josh Allen and a Stefan Diggs. So those can go into the pot too. See, guys, th- th- this is fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, See, look at this. Ge- generosity. It, cheers. Thank you. Of course. So, again, every $5 you donate to Friends of the Night People constitutes an entry. Okay? Send us a copy of the receipt either via DM on Twitter or by email, rockpowerreport 716 at gmail.com. We will do the drawings live on the air. We'll talk about it. We'll get a hold of you. Just make sure that we have a way to reach you, the listener. And we'll, before Christmas, just in the spirit of giving back to you guys, in in the spirit of helping other people right. who uh, might need it. I just think that there's, like, again, if there's anything I can walk away from this with that I got to use this platform for, I want to know that there's some people who, because <laughs> there's people, Chris, who walk away from every one of these podcasts mad at us. Yeah. We sit here and we drink beer and we talk a lot of crap. I'd like to know that we at least helped a handful of people in the process. Right. And I couldn't think of a better person to partner well, up with than you. you, Andy. I mean, you're it's just very you're, kind. You are one of the best people. We've, we've gotten to know a lot of good people. You're one of the best. You need to be more people. <laughs> so the, the website is www.friendsofnightpeople.com it shows in i'll put it in the show's description if you want to go look at that and find the link you can also google it and you can find it in the tweet that we're going to pin to our page about this after we release the show go to their website or go down to their offices in person make a donation send us the receipts and we'll get you guys entered and give away a lot of fun stuff I think it'll be a lot of fun, and it'll do a lot of good for the local community, especially entering the colder months of the year when they really do need all the support they can get. Absolutely. So that brings us to our weekly rundown of just the Bills' rooting interests and standings. Now, Andy, I have something for you. Chris, Chris could care less about any of this. He, he's not... 
Usually I go to 538 and I look at what our odds are. Okay. And for the Bills, we're currently more than 99% to make the playoffs. I haven't seen something like this since Ray Rice. What? Six nothing Sabres. <laughs> this is why he's not paying attention. <laughs> oh my God, since Ray Rice. <laughs> See, you just got there, didn't you? This is what I'm talking about, guys. This is, this is why the edit thing exists. So imagine that if we leave that in a podcast, what else did Chris say that had to get cut out? Exactly. It's hilarious. Tage has four goals, for those that care. What the... Four the, goals and one assist. The pterodactyl. Yes. I'm how, glad someone... How deep in the game are we right now? Uh, approaching the end of the first period. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Hey, it's happening to an Ohio sports team. That that players God on that team them. have families. Yeah. <laughs> what are they doing? Those guys have children who are yeah. watching us going, make it stop. We're going to have to change the, uh, the donation... To all the families, <laughs> Columbus, <laughs> the Columbus Wow! So the Bills are seventy-seven percent to win the division. Okay, forty-six forty-six percent to earn the buy. Now everyone keeps going back and forth about. And I've seen this in our fan base about what is the value of the one seed. People are like, "Oh my God, we have to hang on to this for." And, and obviously that gets bigger sure. with today's news about Von Miller. Yeah. Everyone's going, the Bills have got to find a way to keep this one seed or else. And then I hear a lot of other people going, well, this team's built to play anywhere and win anywhere, blah, 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 blah. Here's what I want. I want to bring this up. Bleacher Report. Now, this is from back in 2013. Put out the numbers. From 1990 to 2011, the home team win percentage, they calculated it down over the course of two decades. The regular season win percentage for home teams is only 57%, which tells you that it's, it's, it's some advantage, but it's not huge. Correct. Weeks 1 through 17. And I'm sure it's bigger for some teams than others. Mm-hmm. Like, it's big probably for the Bills. It's big probably for the Chiefs, maybe for Seattle. But I don't know that Jacksonville is exactly no. you know, hyping up their, their home team. You know what I mean? No, exactly. Not all home field advantages are created equal. Right. In the wild card round, the home win percentage is 66%. For conference championships, the home win percentage is 64%. In the divisional round, the home field advantage was 74%. Now, here's the thing. Up until 2011, there were still two teams getting a bye. Correct. What that tells you is that teams that got a single week of rest compared to the team that had to go play a wild card game and then go on the road again, those teams got destroyed. Usually. They yep. got handed it. And if not, they by and large lost. You just lose. So with that in mind, like you look at it, and, and then we talked about the AFC championship game, how that percentage was smaller. Mm-hmm. Well, that was in 2011. Since 2011... When those percentages were calculated, the Patriots went on the road and beat the Kansas City Chiefs in Arrowhead back in 2018. The Ravens beat the Patriots in Gillette back in 2012. They're the only team since then to win on the road. That means that home teams in the conference title game have an 80% win percentage over the last decade. Yikes. Chris, I know you're no mathematician. But that sounds, I'm pretty good at math. It sounds pretty one-sided, doesn't it? Yeah. Okay. And you don't have to be the one seed to get... I mean, think about Kansas City last year. Mm-hmm. 
they they kind of lucked into home field during that time. But did it but did it work for them? They lost the game. Sure. Like there again, so maybe thirty percent now. If you're factoring in the Chiefs, I mean the the Bengals right. winning that game, so it's thirty percent. But either way, seventy percent over the course of a decade, the numbers are good. Yeah, and you can say, well, it doesn't matter that much, but I'll I'll I would prefer to be on the side that has the seventy percent. Sure. I mean, I just think back to Tennessee. How do you get nine sacks and lose a game? <laughs> that's a special kind of incompetent. And and that's where I look at this and I say to myself, the Bills don't need to get the one seed, I guess. But if we're talking about this being the, sh- the ever-shrinking Super Bowl window of the Buffalo Bills, you've got a golden opportunity here, but you have to maintain it. Right. You have to. So with that in mind, the outside help at our Week 14 rooting interests Chargers over the Dolphins is a no-brainer, correct? Absolutely. Like, if Staley can somehow get his head out of his ass and get that, like, his banged-up defense, his incompetent offense, if if the Dolphins lose this game, the Bills' divisional odds jump to over 80%. I want to see Justin Herbert have, like, a miraculous game. A game that pundits say will put him back in the MVP conversation. Like, I'd like to see him outplay Tua. Just outplay him just to shut everybody up because like I saw a tweet earlier about name the most overrated player in football. Mm-hmm. I was arguing with Chris about why it should be Justin Herbert. I've never seen a guy put up so so many statistical things. I get it. Wins aren't a quarterback stat. You nerds are going to yell at me. But I've never seen a guy do so much and yet it means so little. Right. And you, he's on everybody's list of like, oh, he's the next great quarterback, but I mean, I know wins aren't a quarterback stat, but if you're that great, it should propel you to a couple more wins than what the Chargers have been able to accomplish the last two years. Yeah. Steelers over the Ravens. That's one that could happen. It sounds crazy, but look, Tyler Huntley. Yeah. I, maybe he's good. Maybe he's not. I th- 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 Listen, anyone I think- complaining about the Bills offense over the last month, go watch the Ravens. Twice now they've had three points at halftime in the last three weeks. Still beat the Broncos, which is just the dumb. Like Chris, again, this is one of those games that I was. I was. I remember shaking my wife during the last Jets game, going, "Imagine you're the person who paid all the, you paid four hundred dollars to I sit like at the how, fifty I like yard where line. we've gone across this podcast, donating to uh, the homeless, to mentioning Ray Rice, to you shaking your wife. <laughs> <laughs> We're all over the map tonight. I was shaking my wife being like, honey, there are people out there who paid $400 to watch the Ravens be tied 3-3 three to three at halftime with the Carolina Panthers. <laughs> Oof. You paid real American dollars for yeah. that. So, I don't know. I just think that with a backup in, it's conceivable that the Steelers could pull off an upset. Sure. And if they do, it would improve our standings. It would give us another leg up on another person, another team vying for a top seed. And then there's some kind of flyers that just, like Jacksonville over Tennessee, it could happen. Like the Browns over the Bengals, Denver over Kansas City, they're all pipe dreams, but... Statistically speaking, the Bengals are, you know, bulletproof when they play the Chiefs, and they (laughs) are the weakest of sauce whenever they play the Browns. So you never know. It is weird how that works. I, the, the funny one to me is the Denver and KC, right? Because the to me, 
The Broncos, Nate Hackett, and Russ Wilson are to football what Toby is to the office. Yeah, no. Like, they're a character that just seems to only exist to provide you with awkward, cringy, kind of weird moments. Yeah. And then also be the butt of a lot of jokes. That's, that's what the Broncos exist to be, is Toby. Yeah, the Broncos have been a source of perspective for me this year. Because every time the Bills play a game that, that isn't that good or that maybe they underperformed or we kicked a lot of field goals this game and I don't know. I think to myself, you know, just say, thank God I didn't spend all that money on Russell Wilson. <laughs> You're like, you know what? At least our money is going somewhere valuable. Right. And not even like the, the GM obviously paid that and or the team paid that or whatever. I w- as a fan, I would have bought all the Russ merchandise. Oh, no. Oh, I, w- I would have bought I would have bought <laughs> Russell Wilson stuff and I would have been so pumped and I would. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. Oh, you'd be embarrassed to be seen in public with sure. that. Sure. Chris. If. Somehow, Kansas City fumbles the bag on the road in Denver this week. It's not going to happen. It won't. They've been suspect the last couple of weeks, though. It could open the door to a multi-game lead for Buffalo in the conference and put our odds of being the number one seed at better than 60%, which would almost put us to where the Eagles are now in the NFC. How many more games do the Broncos have before they just fire Nate Hackett? I don't think that I don't think that this weird ownership group that just got injected like that's the problem with not having one rich dude with an ego when you have a room of rich people oh, the, count, feel, the council of rich dudes yeah that's the thing like they like when you look at what owners are owners of NFL teams are a bunch of rich guys with an ego sure they, this whole thing is a vanity project for them when you have an ownership group quote unquote Well, now nobody wants to look like the bad guy and they don't know enough about football to really get in there. And none of them have like one ego on the line. So they as a group can probably justify keeping him around for the rest of the season, which is insanity. Yeah. Like your defensive tackle is screaming at your quarterback in the middle of the field to play on national television. Fire someone. Right. Just to send a message. I feel like if I was the general of that army, I would shoot someone just to make a point. <laughs> in, instead, every week the message is, this is fine. <laughs> Everything will be okay. <sighs> I don't know. Do you like our odds, Andy? At least through this week of surviving as the one seed in the AFC East. Or the in the AFC. I mean, we stay the one seed if we win. Yes. So, yeah, I like our odds. I think that, it, you know, things might get tighter, certainly, but I like our odds. Chris, you like our odds? Yeah. I remember when you hated our odds last week, yeah, two well, weeks ago. Week-to-week podcast depends on how many Montuckies I've had. <laughs> Guys, this has been a lot of fun. I think it's been a great roundup. Again, friends of the night people, if you have any questions, reach out to us at Report on Twitter or RockPowerReport716 at gmail.com. And... Uh, Guys, I look forward to giving away a lot of merchandise and just doing what we can to help some people. Andy, your Twitter handle? The Andy Parks. T-H-E, Andy Parks. The Andy Parks. Not yes. just any Andy Parks. The but Andy the. Parks, yes. You know They're- what? I'd agree with that. Cheers. You Cheers. are the Andy Parks. Thank you. <laughs> Guys, this has been a lot of fun, but we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger. That's Andy Parks. And this has been your AFC's Roundup. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.